Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we dive into the ocean's depths and find out about some tiny life. Now when you think about the oceans and the Great Barrier Reef or any large reef system, think about the beautiful coral and sometimes the fish living around that coral. But you don't often think about the incredibly small life inside those fish and how that helps keep the reef safe. Plus an unlikely collaboration between deep sea worms and strange bacteria. Now when we think about resource extraction deep from the ocean, we often think about big oil rigs oil spills, lots of environmental damage. But scientists from Caltech and Occidental College have recently published a paper in the journal Science Advances, and they're talking and investigating in detail some pretty amazing extraction and use of methane gas deep in our oceans, but not by the large oil giants of the world, rather by the cooperation and symbiosis between some deep sea worms and some bacteria and how they can join together and cooperate to make the most of a smelly situation with all that methane gas. Now bacteria belonging to the methylcocae family have been often found hitching rides on the feathery plumes that make up the lungs of different types of deep worms, like Laminatubus and the Bispira. And this family of bacteria are methotropes, which means that they harvest all of the carbon and energy from methane. As we know, the methane is a molecule that's combined in a ring of carbon and hydrogen. So this worm has inside of it, this bacteria inside its respiratory organs. And basically hanging out in its lungs, it manages to strip off bits of carbon and other energy from the methane that comes in and out. Now when we say worms, we are talking about not microscopic things, but things that are a few tens of centimetres long. And they've been found in great numbers all the way down at the bottom of the ocean, near the deep sea vents. At these vents, these cracks in the crust of the earth, hydrocarbon rich fluids tend to ooze out. They also tend to be warm and get a lot of methane, which is why these worms have sort of gathered around these methane rich vents. They're warm, lots of bacteria hang out there, there's plenty of food, and it's a great place to keep yourself at the hub of attention at the deep sea depths, which is important for worms, but also important for this bacteria, because this bacteria also loves these methane vents, because it gives them a chance to feast. But still, with so many places in the deep ocean to be, why are the worms in such abundance at these vents? Well, it turns out that the worms have been slowly digesting all of that hitchhiking bacteria, and thus, from the bacteria, they're able to absorb the carbon and energy that that bacteria stripped out and harvested from the methane, which you know, with a little bit of extra steps, means that those worms are basically also chowing down on methane. The methane is captured by the bacteria in their lungs, and in turn the worms slowly dissolve and consume that bacteria as well, eating thus the methane, turning it into energy. Now that's pretty amazing to think about, that these worms are actually feasting on the methane directly from these vents. And these worms have long been associated with these seeping points, but Most people just assume that they were filter feeding on all the other bacteria hanging around there. But what they're actually doing, as Victoria Orphan, who's a professor of environmental science and geobiology, outlines, instead we find that they're teaming up with a microbe to use chemical energy in a feed in a way we hadn't even considered. And that's what's 
the most amazing part about this story. Most people just assumed the worms were down there to feast on other creatures that gathered around the vents, but that's not the case at all. The bacteria certainly loves the methane, and the worms have evolved with the methane-consuming bacteria to thus themselves become a methane consumer. That is where it's pretty funny. Now, to actually discover all of this, they really wanted to dive, literally in this case, down to the depths and figure out what was going on with these worms. So they brought some up back to the lab. To use, of course, robotic submarines to take samples from these deep sea vents, which are over 1,800 metres below the ocean's surface. Bring them up with little scoops, take them all the way back to the surface and take them to labs like at Caltech, an Occidental College in LA. Now, when the scientists began analysing the worm's tissue, they tried to categorise all the different types of carbon that they consumed. And carbon, like most elements, exists in different isotopes, different flavours or forms. And most of the carbon in the world, 99% of it is carbon-12, 6 neutrons, 6 protons. 1% or so is carbon-13, 6 protons, 7 neutrons. And a small percentage is carbon-14, which is a radioactive isotope which can actually be used as part of a carbon dating thing. Now, since all organisms require some type of carbon to survive, we haven't yet discovered non-carbon based life. Now, they need it as part of the different metabolic processes. And by studying the ratio of the amounts of carbon, you can actually find out what environment these creatures were living in and what they were consuming because you can figure out based on the ratios of the different type of carbon flavors or isotopes in their tissues you can tell what type of carbon they've been eating and you know that some carbons can only come from some places in this case they found an unusually low ratio of carbon 13 to 12 which means that the carbon in the worm's body actually probably came from methane now that's some pretty amazing things to actually work out by studying the concentrations and the levels of different types of carbon inside a deep sea worm's skin we can piece back together this cooperation and symbiosis between bacteria and a worm at the bottom of the ocean to turn methane what is often a poisonous gas into a fantastic fuel source and also just to food to build themselves with that's some great science and also a pretty great testament to the way in which life often takes some pretty unusual steps in order to survive. This is some great work from Caltech, including lead authors Shannon Godfrey, as well as principal investigator Victoria Orphan, published in the journal Science Advances. say a coral reef you might picture in your mind Australia's beautiful Great Barrier Reef or maybe one of the many other wonderful coral reefs that are under threat from climate change across the world but 
if you picture, say, Finding Nemo, that colourful microcosm of all the different types of coral and fish swimming around, it's one of the reasons why coral reefs are such hubs of biodiversity. Biodiversity that's sadly dying out as ocean temperatures rise, corals breach, and the ecosystem is disrupted by pollution and visitors. But the rich biodiversity of coral reefs also exists in a way that we can't see. And I'm not just talking about the coral and algae blooms that form part of it, but actually even down to the microbial communities that reside in the ocean waters and within fish. According to some papers published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society, Biological Sciences. Now, these scientists have been diving into the reefs in the Caribbean and looking at the coral reefs and trying to analyse and understand the ecosystem that forms the bottom level of the reef's ecology. And that's all the microbial life that exists there. And not just that exists on the reef. There's also a lot going inside all of those herbivore fish species. They call these fish grazer fish because they tend to float around and nibble on bits of reef here and there or plankton or other small forms of life across the reef. So researchers like Douglas Racher and others from the Bigelow Laboratory for Ocean Scientists were trying to look at these herbivore fish species to understand their role in the reef's ecosystem and also what is inside of them. So they took five simple common types of Caribbean fish species and what they found was that they all eat a really strange different amount and different types depending on where they are on the reef. Obviously, this confused them, so they started to use genetic sequencing and a bunch of different computing techniques to try and identify what was going on. And where they turned to, since they were analysing what these fish ate, they turned to, of course, the gut of those fish. And by looking at the intestines and the stomach of these fish, they discovered that each of those different herbivore types of fish harbours their own unique gut microbiome. Now, some members of the gut microbiome probably live in the oceans, while others appear to only reside inside the fish themselves, and they have a symbiotic relationship with their host fish. These bacteria need the fish to live and to bring in the food for it to consume. In turn, the fish get the help of the bacteria in trying to digest the different types of food and get the energy from this. And the important part about this is there are all types of different unique types of microbiome in these guts of these fish. And so since these fish were eating different things on the reef, you start to look at the behaviours and the changes in the different species of fish. And when they added in the information that they now knew about the differences in the gut microbiomes on the fish, you could see quite clearly what is happening. The gut microbiome is having a direct relationship to where those types of fish and how those types of fish feed on the reef. So you have to start to wonder, which one is the actual driving influence here? The gut microbiome or the fish? Now, a grazing fish is quite important to a reef because it helps keep the reef free of harmful algae. And you need not just one type of fish to keep your reef clean. You need lots of different type of fish all eating different parts of the algae and cleaning different parts of the reef. So these fish are playing a valuable service to keeping the reef's ecosystem alive. And also, you have to consider now the role that these microbes are playing as well. All 59 different types discovered in only five types of fish 
that they were in. Now, what's curious about this is that this type of gut microbiomes that existing in these different fish can be related to other microbes living in intestines of other reef fish from across the world. And what's crazy about that is that these microbes were very similar to microbes found in the guts of fish from oceans thousands and thousands of kilometers away. Now, this doesn't mean that the fish have necessarily swum there, but the microbes have actually made that huge journey. And when you think about the size of a microbe, and you think micro is obviously 10 to the negative 6 meters in size, we're talking really small things here. And for something that size to travel thousands of kilometers and end up in the gut of a fish thousands of kilometers away is incredible to think about. That's like finding a human in Alpha Centauri or beyond. And perhaps there's divergent evolution where these fish started out with a common ancestor millions of years ago and the microbes traveled with them. But still, that's either an immense journey over time or an immense journey over space. Either which, and probably both, it's still incredibly impressive. Now, the important part here is that we know that these reef cleaning fish are quite important for keeping the reef healthy. But just as important is, of course, these microbes, because they help the fish digest their food, which in this case is harmful algae for the reef. And they help break down a lot of the plant toxins, which means that these microbes are also incredibly important to the overall health of the reef. So something as large and incredibly beautiful as the Great Barrier Reef and its thousands of kilometers in length is being supported by fish and the fish and their microbes working together to help keep that reef clean and safe from algae. So the food web, as you can see, is quite complicated and we have to factor in the big and the small to help understand how the reef can be protected, but also how the reef functions. This is some great research from the Bilbo Laboratory for Ocean Scientists, published in the journal Biological Sciences. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From bacteria helping turn methane into a tasty snack for deep sea worms, plus what happens inside a fish's stomach that helps keep the reef safe. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.